Eagles Entertainment. Welcome, Eagles, everywhere to the Eagles Insider Podcast, presented by Lincoln Financial Group. I'm Eagles Insider Dave Spadaro, and we are now in the 2022 NFL season. Every team 0-0 zero zero after Sunday's Super Bowl 56. The Eagles, of course, have a lot to look forward to, and we will be tuned in to an offseason. That should be wild. Free agency starts in a month, and the Eagles have some room under the salary cap, and then they're focusing on the draft. Of course, Philadelphia with 10 draft picks, including three in the first round, numbers 15, 16, and 19 overall. So it's going to be fun, everybody. Really going to enjoy the journey with you. So in this episode, we want to kind of look back. Last week, of course, the news came down that Another Eagle going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's been a busy time, right? On the field for the Eagles, off the field. They make it to the playoffs. It's a lot of things happening. We're going to celebrate Rodney McLeod, who is the Allen Page Man of the Year in the NFL. Congratulations to Rodney for his work off the field. Uh, Certainly the Eagles, from a personnel standpoint, looking at some changes. Two of their key executives leaving, Ian Cunningham, going to become the assistant general manager with the Chicago Bears, Brandon Brown, leaving the Eagles personnel department to join the New York Giants in the same capacity. Assistant general manager, congratulations and best of luck to both of those men who have had a lot of input in the Eagles' success. But for today, we want to just kind of focus on Dick Vermeil, the former Eagles head coach from 1976 through 1982. And, uh, He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and and it's just great. Harold Carmichael went in last year after a two-year wait. Brian Dawkins in 2018. Vermeil coaching the Eagles, the Rams, and the Chiefs in a 15-year career. And really, if you're old enough to remember the Eagles back then, they were a bad football franchise. A team that really hadn't made the playoffs since winning the NFL championship in 1960. The Eagles had made two what they called back then the playoff bowls in the 1960s. But by and large, the previous nine years, all losing seasons. Until then, owner Leonard Tose hired from UCLA a fresh-faced, handsome, charismatic, aggressive young man by the name of Dick Vermeil. It took some time, but Vermeil eventually molding the Eagles into a Super Bowl team a team that played the Oakland Raiders, unfortunately lost in Super Bowl 15, but Vermeil turned the Eagles' fortunes around. And for that, he is celebrated. He's celebrated for many other things. And we're going to find out in this episode just how much he is revered as a coach and as a man. In a moment, we'll hear from head coach Dick Vermeil in an exclusive one-on-one interview that I had with him. And we'll also uh, hear from former Eagles quarterback Ron Jaworski, former Eagles wide receiver Harold Carmichael, and the voice of the Eagles, Merrill Reese. But let's begin with one-on-one the morning after Coach Ramil found out he was going to the Hall of Fame. He actually called me back, which, I mean, just amazing. How busy he has been, how many phone calls he got. He, He took the time to call me back. And I really appreciate that very much. So let's begin the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group right here, right now. 
I'm Eagles insider Dave Spadaro. And I'm honored to be joined by former Eagles head coach Dick Vermeil, a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. What, what kind of emotions have you had here in the, last, in the last little while? Well, when something that I think something like this happens, at least it is to me, you start thinking about everybody that made a contribution, and you're sure hoping, I know I am, I'm hoping everybody that's been involved in my career in any capacity takes the time to appreciate the contribution they made to me to end up being, I like, I'm like their end product or byproduct of the efforts of many great people, you know, and, uh, you know, I just, uh, it's, it's, it's a great feeling that I can't tell you how many text messages I've gotten, but it's, it's rewarding to know and have it reconfirmed how people appreciated my approach to coaching, no matter how hard I worked them. <laughs> so that, that, that's very gratifying and I'm very grateful. How would you describe what your approach to coaching was? Work the crap out of them on the field and make them happy off the field. <laughs> you know, I, I always guarantee players they may not make the team, but if they, when they leave our training camp, they'll be a better football player. Okay. And, uh, with our approach, which you can't do it anymore. You know, the new coaches taking over teams are, are a real advantage. New coaches take over losing teams, and they can't make it take an approach like I always did. We may not outsmart anybody, but we're going to outwork them. We're going to be more demanding on the practice field. We're going to stay on the field longer. We're going to wear the pads longer. We're going to do more double days than anybody. We're going to do more work in the offseason. We're going to do more work in the meeting. We can't do that anymore. So it makes it really tough on the coach that takes over a losing team to catch up. Dick, you took over an Eagles team that had just been really in the dumps for a long time. Why did, why did it turn around? What was the experience like? Just kind of put in context what your years in Philadelphia were like, please. Well, fortunate for me, there were some good football players, no draft choices, but Bergie was there. Oh, Harold Carmichael was there. John Bunning was there. Frank LaMaster was there. Jerry Sizemore, Guy Morris, I mean, there was Randy Logan, these Charlie Smith, they were there, but they had to be put together and improved. And as good as they were, they had to get better. You know, good players lose games too. Okay. So you have to improve everybody's contribution and you've got to make sure. And I can remember, I appreciated so much. My best player at that time was Bill Bergie, how he bought in once he, recognized what we were doing, how he brought, he bought in to becoming the toughest, hardest worker on the practice field. And he was the best player, probably the highest paid player, you know, then the John Bunnings and all these, Harold Carmichael's, all these guys jumped in and did the same thing. So anybody new coming into the program had unbelievable standards to meet, to be respected on that football team. Then we get Jaworski in and build him in, to what he had the ability to be, you know, it takes time to build a quarterback. It really does. The problem today is you don't get enough time to coach him on the field. You just don't, you know, and especially in intense environments. So uh, uh, I feel for these new young coaches. Dick, do you feel that, that you could pinpoint a turning, you know, a moment where it just kind of all, you, you knew that you were 
on the right track in Philadelphia that this team was going to, you know, be a Super Bowl kind of team? Uh, yeah, no, it's easy to pick that up. Fourth or fifth game of the season, our fourth year. Pittsburgh Steelers win the world championship the year before. A dominating football team, undefeated football team, comes to Philadelphia fourth, fifth game of the season, and we beat them. Major upset. In fact, that week I allowed Stan Hockman to sit in at every meetings in preparation for the game until he left at midnight because he had to go write his stories. And we end up winning a football game. I think Keith Crefley catches a touchdown pass, and uh, John Bunning intercepts one and runs it to the one-yard line. We, you know, Bradshaw and the crew, we beat them. And I think that told me, that told my players, our organization, we are doing the right things. Dick, Philadelphia is not an easy place to, to win over the fans. What was it like for you in the tough early years? What was it like for you in the great years? You know, I, I, I you know, I'm a little naive maybe. You know, I didn't read the papers during the season, John Wooden told me not to read papers, not to listen to radio talk shows when you're coaching. He says that what they say about you is good probably isn't all true. What they say about you that is bad probably isn't all true. You do not need the distraction, so stay away from it. And that's exactly what I did. But I really felt the fans identified with our work commitment because that's a hard work and tough city. And it's not always a beautiful day out there, you know, and, uh, we we didn't have the comfort of the wonderful meeting rooms and we didn't even have a weight room and, and practice fields and facilities and enclosed state. We didn't have any of that stuff. And I, I think our fans identified with our effort to get better. It was wonderful. Do you remember the feeling um, beating Dallas January 1991? Oh, yeah. what, what was it like yeah. for you? Well, I, I remember the feeling of beating Dallas on a Monday night in 1979 in November, which was a big, big win for us. The same year we beat Pittsburgh. Big, big. That was the first time in four years we beat Tom Landry and the Dallas Cowboys. I remember it like it was yesterday. Wilbert breaks a short yardage run. Wilbert, uh, uh, Harold Carmichael catches a fourth down pass that we went for. And I thought I was a brilliant coach. Oh, he designed this tricky fourth down pass. He scores with it. The only reason he scored, he's six foot eight and out jumped everybody for the ball. <laughs> so I take credit for great design. Okay, <laughs> but I remember that. I remember that game as much as I do the NFC Championship game. So, so Dick, what, what will these next several months be like for you? Do you have any sense of anticipation of what it's going to be like as we count down to Canton? Uh, you know, I've talked to Harold and Isaac Bruce, and I was with Will Shields last night. I'll be with Willie Rofe today. These guys are all Hall of Famers, you know. And I, you know, you have to be who you are, you know. And uh, I'm not really good at accepting a lot of compliments because I know how deeply I appreciate the contribution of everybody around me. And I don't say that as a phony statement. I'm sincerely, you know, uh, I'm so grateful to my players and and my coaches and my management team, Jimmy Moore, Jimmy Murray, you know, Leonard Toes, they treated me beyond great, okay, beyond great. And we're still good friends, and I, I wish Leonard would have been here to see that last night because he would have probably already thrown a $500,000 party to celebrate, <laughs> knowing <laughs> Leonard. But anyway, God bless him. 
No, I, I just, it isn't going to change anything. I, I'll answer more phone calls and do more interviews, maybe do some more speaking. I enjoy the speaking. I enjoy telling people what I think, and I don't care if they agree with me. But uh, the text messages and phone calls I've received since yesterday uh, sort of confirm a philosophy that I really believe in and an approach that makes me feel more confident that uh, it works and it would still work. Yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm sure everybody's expecting great emotion. One, one thing final for you, Dick. I, I happen to be on a text string um, that, that you have with a lot of your players, and it's really very just has struck me as something so special that you've kept such an incredible relationship with all of those men. You, you and, and all the people that I talked to said that what made you a great coach is that you actually care about a player. Can you kind of speak to that and, and what the players have meant to you? during and, and then after their playing careers are over? Well, after they play for me, they, they're not my players, they're my friends. <laughs> Some of them are close enough to be, I consider, part of our family. <laughs> Last week, I was pheasant hunting with Keith Crefley and, and uh, Frank LeMaster, okay? <laughs> and we had a wonderful time. Stayed at Keith's house up in the Poconos, <laughs> had dinner, drank some wine, hunted all day, shot some birds, had a great time. You know, they're, they're part of me. You know, they, they are what made me who I am, you know? So, uh, you know, then, you know, starting out in high school coaching then going to junior college, then going to college, then going to the NFL gave me an opportunity to grow at each level and, and gain leadership understanding at each level. You don't, I, I still believe this. You don't just jump into a job and be given a title. And be all of a sudden you're a leader. I don't believe that at all. You know, I don't know. You know, you're not a leader until somebody follows you and really believes in you. And going up my process really helped me understand the true making of a person, a young man competing as an athlete and as a person. And it, I think it helped me in every level. And by the time I got the NFL, in fact, I think I could do it better today from a leadership standpoint than I did it when I left. Because I haven't continued, I haven't stopped studying leadership and people that, that are good leaders. Amazing. Uh, why did you stay in Philly? Last one. Why did you stay in Philly after your career was done? Well, I had a family. I brought them out of Southern California. They didn't want to come. My wife didn't want to come. The first year in Philadelphia was the worst year of our 66-year marriage. And I hear that often. But, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just... I didn't want to just leave and go take another job right away or move to California, settle down, and then go take a job because I sort of thought I'd go back to coaching two or three years. Okay, maybe even one year after a break. And then I got into broadcasting, and I enjoyed it. They paid me twice as much money as I was making coaching football team at that time. And uh, and then I, uh, Roger Hillis at a bank downtown provided me the money to buy 100 acres of ground Thirty-five hundred bucks an acre out in Chester County, oh my God. and I, I established roots. Established roots, and uh, now those roots are so deep that that's what we call home. Love it, and Dick. Everybody's so proud of you, and thankful that you've been part of our lives. And again, congratulations, and thank you so much for your time this morning. All right, go Eagles! Thank you. Vermeil's legacy extends far beyond what he did as a head coach. And let's kind of explore that right now with some of his former players, 
and someone who knows him very, very well. We begin with former Eagles quarterback Ron Jaworski, a member of the team's Hall of Fame, and a key part, as you heard Dick talk about, the Eagles acquiring Jaworski in a trade in 1977 from the Los Angeles Rams, and, well, the rest is kind of Eagles history. Here we go, Jaws on Dick Vermeil. Your thoughts on Dick being in the Hall of getting into the Hall of Fame and and what it means to you and and, and what he what he meant to you. Well, it's just tremendous that uh, he was finally recognized uh, for his achievements as a, a head coach in the NFL. Uh, certainly a well deserved honor. Uh, no question, you know he did so many wonderful things for so many players, but I think uh, Coach Real was more important to the guys even after they left the game. He was a a compassionate, caring coach that wanted to do the best for the guys that played for him. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of people that will probably be very happy tonight. Final question. Jaws, what made him such a great head coach? Uh, He cared about people. You know, a, a lot of coaches in today's NFL, I think, use players as disposable products. The minute you can't help me win a football game, I don't need you anymore, and I'll bring in someone else. Uh, coach cared about people. When they left the game, when they left the Eagles, the Rams, uh, the Chiefs, he would still reach out to the players all the time to see how they're doing, how their families are doing. So he, I, I think he respected the game and he respected the players for being players and cared about them as human beings. Harold Carmichael had been with the Eagles for a few years prior to the arrival of Vermeil, and those were very tough seasons. So how did the Eagles go from bad to good to Super Bowl in that time. Here's the perspective of Harold Carmichael. Harold, uh, your uh, your emotions with Coach going into the hall and, and um, you know, you've, you've, you've experienced it. And what does it mean to you that, that Coach Ramil has gotten his honor? Well, this is very exciting for me, David, uh, just to uh, be a part of his uh, journey and all. Uh, he going into the Hall of Fame is just an exciting um, time for him. You know, I, I, I went through this a, a year or so ago, uh, two years ago, I guess you'd call it now, and uh, I know how he's feeling, um, excited about it and anxious about finding out for sure. And we we pretty much feel that he, he's 80 or 90% in there already. You know, he deserves to be there anyway. So I'm I'm very excited about him being there and, uh, something that's well, has been well deserved. Harold, what was the key to Dick's success as a head coach? Well, he understood how to how to deal with people. He wore his emotions on his on his on his sleeve, you know, and he really didn't hold back on anything. He knew talent. He knew how to get a lot of a lot of talent out of people. Um, I know he uh, worked with me and all, you know. Uh, he, he was that type of coach that would tear you down and build you up even stronger. I, I saw him do that with the whole team pretty much. And um, uh, just the type of person he is, I mean, very smart, surrounding yourself with good people, surrounding yourself with smart coaching staff, and also uh, surrounding yourself with good players. Harold, how tough was he? I mean, the, the idea that, hey, there's a college coach coming in, he wasn't easy, was he? No, very no. He was, you know, we always said the man is crazy. You know, the way we work, we, you know, we work three hours twice a day. Um, 
And then sometimes we went, you know, went in the, in the, in the meeting rooms and stayed there for a few hours. So, you know, um, but I respected everything that he did. You know, there was a reason. It was not just to do stuff. There was a reason behind all of his madness, if you want to say it that way. But And I learned from that. Um, nothing good was going to come easy. You know, um, if it was so easy, everybody would be doing it. And he kind of put that in our heads. Surround yourself with good people. Do your job better than anybody else can do it. And that's just something that I've, I learned from him, and I still use that today. Harold, what was it? If you could just, what was it like before Dick got to Philadelphia, and like, how did it turn around? What did he do to to turn things around? Well, my first my first couple of years, um, it was like we had three teams: a team coming in, a team playing, and a team leaving. You never knew what was going on. There was always something out. Uh, people coming in, uh, we weren't we weren't playing very good. We were getting beat almost every week. You know, my first two years is two eleven and one, and that you know that's not exciting in Philadelphia. And uh, we were getting a lot of uh, flag from the uh, from the from the fans of Philadelphia. And uh, but once uh, we started getting together with uh, with uh, Coach um, McCormick and. But uh, Coach Ramil came in and really, really put a lot of work into us. He kept about 12 guys off of those. Uh, the team got my the first two years I was on. Uh, he just kept 12 guys from that. And he built around that, brought in people, brought in quality players. And uh, we just built from that and was uh, able to go in and play in the Super Bowl. And then finally, Harold, one of the things that I'm really, I just think is so special you guys really that, that eighty team and those that those those teams. You guys really stay together. I mean, there's there's a, a bond that, that has not you know that has not gone away in forty plus years. Why do you think that is? Well, again, good people. I mean, if you got on that little chat um, program that we have, um, there's a, a bunch of guys on that. So we stay in touch through that and. Um, even people finding out that uh, Coach Bill is going to go at my teammates from from seventy uh, seventy six on uh, to now, whatever um, they're planning on going to going to Canton and to really uh, really support Coach Bill. But you know, we do still have that bond. We a lot of us still c- communicate at least once or twice a month. So you know, that bond is still there. I heard one from one of my teammates. Last night that I haven't talked to in about uh, about ten to twelve years. So you know uh, the bond is there, the friendship is there. You know, loved a lot of those guys and stuff. You know, still, still we stay in touch. Yeah, it's so great that everybody is sharing in in coaches' honor, and um, I think that's really fantastic. So I thank you so much for your time, Harold. Oh, this is going to be exciting. To, you know, I've talked to a few guys and. You know, uh, just waiting for tonight to really get, you know, get the confirmation on it. And uh, I'm quite sure there's going to be a lot of um, texting tonight after they find out uh, he's in for sure. Last but certainly not least, the voice of the Eagles, Merrill Reese. Very, very close to Dick Vermeil through those years, through these years. And Merrill offers his perspective on Dick Vermeil and his years as an Eagles head coach. Merrill, your emotions with Dick Vermeil in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. 
I couldn't be happier. This is something that was long overdue. He's one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, and it's simply a matter of a Hall of Famer walking through the doors of the Hall of Fame. Okay, Merrillton, what made him a Hall of Fame coach? The fact that he won a lot of games, he, he got the allegiance of so many people in the National Football League. Every player who played for Dick Vermeule considered him a mentor, considered him almost a family member. And also the fact that he got the Eagles to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl with the Rams. Merrill, what was his kind of his genius? I know the relationship thing is part of it, but what, what from an X's and O's standpoint made him so special? Well, I don't think it was just an X's and O's standpoint. A lot of people can teach X's and O's, but it was he was so driven. He was such a great communicator, and he brought in assistants. He used to say that you hire assistants who are good enough to take your job. He was never looking over his shoulder, and he had great great confidence in the people that he anointed his assistants, and they all worked together. He was tremendously, tremendously well-organized. He was dedicated to his job, to his profession, to the point of excess. I mean, he had to step back at one point because he was so obsessed with that job, and he reinvented himself. Not that he ever stopped being a tireless worker, but he knew there was a point where too much was as bad as not as, as not as too much was as bad as not enough. Well, I wonder if you could provide context. Uh, what were the Eagles like before Dick got there, and and how quickly did you sense that it would turn around? Well, the first time I saw Dick Vermeil, I knew that he came in with a team that really wasn't very good, and not only that. They didn't have draft choices. I mean, they didn't have two, they didn't have number one draft choices for two years down the road. And that was tough. And you didn't know if anybody could turn them around that quickly. But I will never forget his presence. I'll never forget the way that he stood at that first press conference and, and just looked everybody in the eye. And he just took over the room. And he was somebody who involved the entire franchise. There was never a win after which Dick Vermeil didn't say, this win is a part of this entire organization, from the front office down to every secretary in the building. Everybody had a hand in this win. It's not just the players, it's not just the coaches, it's the personnel people. It's everybody involved in this organization had a hand in that win, including Mr. Toast. Merle, do you remember a turning point in the Vermeil Eagles era? I do. I really do. Uh, I believe that turning point occurred on a Monday night game in Dallas. Now they had lost to Dallas for so many in, in so many games, and way they went down there. And I remember a couple of things. Uh, Ron Jaworski got hurt. He went out. Uh, in came uh, the backup quarterback. John Walton. John Walton lit them up. Tony Franklin kicked a 59-yard field goal, which at the time was the longest in Eagles history. And then on a third or fourth down, Jaworski threw a touchdown pass to Harold Carmichael. And they turned the tide on the Dallas Cowboys. And then, and only then, did you know that this team was really on the way.
Merrill, last one for you. That 1980 team, I mean, it, it had been so long since the Eagles had real success. Could you put into kind of perspective how that team captured Philadelphia, how they epitomized the city, and, you know, what Dick was like that year? Well, Dick, of course, was on top of everything. He was passionate. He was driving. And as hard as he wanted them to work, that's how hard they worked. I mean, they were a great team. He had his quarterback. He had his wide receivers. He had Bill Berge. Bill Berge was the leader of that defense. And other players, John Bunning was like a coach on the field. Herman Edwards, the guy who who everybody loved from the Miracle of the Meadowlands, made so many big plays. He had defensive ends like Claude Humphrey, who just passed away recently. And and, uh, the guy he used to call Hurricane Hairston. Carl Hairston didn't get enough attention, so Dick said he needed a nickname to draw attention to all of the good things he was doing. He had an offensive line that included two all-pro tackles in Stan Walters and Jerry Sizemore, the center Guy Morris. I mean, this was this was a very – and only then he had Petey Payroll on one side and a veteran that he brought in by the name of Woody Peoples, who had played for the 49ers. He brought in Woody Peoples, and that offensive line was so cohesive, and they didn't let – anything they didn't let anything stop them they were they were a great great unit all five of those guys played at their highest level they had the return game they had wally henry who was electric they just they just had it all this was a this was a team that may not have been the most talented in the league at that point but believe me they were not just overachievers they were very very good What's great, Merrill, is everybody I've talked to and, and knowing the bond that Dick still has with all of these players, everybody's, everybody's happy as Dick is about this honor. I think that's really cool. And that includes me. I mean, I was, I was the broadcaster for um, everything but the first of Dick's years. Uh, in his first year, I was doing pre- and post-game show. In the second year, I moved into the color job. And with two games to go, I took over the play-by-play. And I... I, to this day, I feel so close to Dick Vermeil. I mean, we must chat 10 times in the course of the season. And he's just, he's just such a warm individual. Now, he's, he's changed. In those early years when I was covering him, he was so intense. I mean, there was never a time where he would just step back and laugh. He was, he was driven every single day. I mean, it was more unusual for him to go home at night than to sleep over at the stadium. I mean, he would work 20-hour days, sleep four hours in his, in his office, and then go back to work as soon as he woke up. That was Dick Vermeil. He backed off a bit. Now Dick Vermeil has balance in his life. He has a wonderful wife. He's got great, loving children and, and wonderful grandchildren. So he, he is able to really step back, relax, keep his love for football, but have an entire wide scope of things that he is involved with that will do it for this episode of the eagles insider podcast presented by lincoln financial group i'm eagles insider dave spadaro thanks to peter kelly ray doyle julie mclaughlin for their work on this podcast thanks to all of you for joining each and every episode we're back and we're not stopping the 2022 season is officially upon us next week We're going to talk to some Eagles who've had some unusual experiences in this offseason. And then we will turn our sights 
to free agency, and what's ahead, the Combine, the Eagles, getting busy, getting ready for 2022. Thanks for joining, everyone. Have yourselves a great Eagles day. Fly, Eagles, fly, and go Birds!